Today's scripture lesson is from the book of Acts, chapter 10, verses 1 through 17, and verses 34 through 48. In Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of the Italian cohort, as it was called. He was a devout man who feared God with all his household. He gave alms generously to the people and prayed constantly to God. One afternoon at about three o'clock, he had a vision in which he clearly saw an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. He stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? He answered, your prayers and your arms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa for a certain Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with Simon a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. When the angels who spoke to him had left, he called two of his slaves and a devout soldier from the ranks of those who served him. And after telling them everything, he sent them to Joppa. About noon the next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while it was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw the heaven opened and something like a large sheet coming down, being lowered to the ground by its four corners. In it were all kinds of four-footed creatures and reptiles and birds of the air. Then he heard a voice saying, get up, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is profane or unclean. The voice said to him again a second time, what God has made clean, you must not call profane. This happened three times, and the thing was suddenly taken up to heaven. Now while Peter was greatly puzzled about what to make of the vision that he had seen, suddenly the men sent by Cornelius appeared. They were asking for Simon's house and were standing by the gate. Then Peter began to speak to them. I truly understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. You know the message he sent to the people of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. That message spread throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John announced, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, how he went about doing good and healing healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. We are witnesses to all that he did in both in Judea and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and allowed him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who were chosen by God as witnesses and who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one ordained by God as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who had heard the word. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astounded that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter said, 
Can anyone withhold the water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? So he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they invited him to stay for several days. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Al. Let us pray. Gracious God, send your Holy Spirit upon us this day. Open our ears, our minds, and our hearts to your word. And hearing your word, may we go forth from this, pla this place to proclaim your good news. For we pray this in the name of Christ, our Savior. Amen. A story is told of a minister who had been at a specific church for a few years and decided that it would make sense to move the piano that was on the church's stage. There was, of course, a committee formed to discuss whether moving the aforementioned piano was a good idea. There was a lot of disagreement and discussion, but the minister in insisted and was subsequently fired. Five years later, he visited the church and he noticed that the piano had been moved. And he went to the new pastor and he said, how did you manage that? How did you get them to move the piano? To which the new minister responded, one inch at a time. <laughs> Most of us know that change does not come easy to anyone but especially not usually in religious institutions. After these last several months of spending our time reading through Matthew's gospel, the narrative lectionary last week had us hear the story of the Great Commission, Jesus' instructions to the disciples to go out into the world, to baptize, to teach, and to preach in his name. Over these next months, we will journey through the book of Acts and Romans, not verse by verse, I'll add, and we'll learn about the early church. We'll think about the ways those early disciples did indeed go out into the world. We'll hear about some of their early successes, but we'll also hear about some of their challenges. We'll hear of some of their high points as well as some of their failures. And today we heard the story about Peter and a Roman centurion named Cornelius. Now this week as I was reading a little bit more about this story from Acts, it was interesting for me to, to learn that scholars actually think that this took place around 10 years after Jesus' death. Sometimes when we read our scriptures, because they follow on from one another, we think it happened in quick succession. But scholars actually believe this incident took place a decade, a decade after Jesus had been risen from the dead. Now, a lot can happen in 10 years, of course. But remember, Jesus' teaching had been very controversial. It threw some of the most firmly held beliefs, religious beliefs, beliefs that were steeped in culture and tradition and ritual. It threw them into disrepair. And so the church was faced with trying to put together a new system, a new way of being the church, a new way of understanding things. And as is typical, 
it was very slow to change. I don't know if any of you are, awake, are familiar with a toy called Superhero Mashers. Those of you maybe who have younger grandchildren or children may have heard of this. You can take different parts of superheroes and mash them together. So you can have the Incredible Hulk's head with Superman's body and Batman's legs. Sounds pretty cool, right? Superhero mashers. But as I was thinking this week about the early church, I began to think the early church was a little bit like that. It took a little bit of the religious faith and a little bit of Jewish, Jewish teachings and a little bit of what Jesus taught them, and it put it all together. And some of those traditions were hard to lose. We know old habits are hard to die. So at this point, 10 years on from Jesus' death, at this point, the church is still mainly made up of Jewish converts. And those who were not Jewish by birth have converted to Judaism in order to be part of this new church. So when Cornelius enters the story, we are told some very specific things about him. We are told that he's a Roman centurion in charge of an Italian regiment. So he's Italian, he's from Rome, he's, he's a Roman, he's a military leader but he's also described as being devout and God-fearing. So he's a Gentile, but a Gentile who has not converted fully to Judaism, but one who places his trust in the God of the Hebrews. We're told also that he supports those in need and, in tur and turns to God in prayer. So we know his occupation, we know his nationality, we know something of his religious belief and his concerns socially. Perhaps three of the most important ways that even then and now we tend to categorize people. And Cornelius sees a vision, an angel calls to him and tells him to send some men to a place called Joppa to a certain house to bring back Peter, one of Jesus's disciples. Now notice that Cornelius doesn't question the angel or have any doubts about the veracity of this message. He quickly gathers two of his household servants and one of his soldiers and sends them on their way. And it's while those men are on their way to Joppa that we then come across Peter. And Peter is on the rooftop praying. And at this point, the story gets a little interesting. As he's there on the rooftop praying, he becomes hungry, and as his stomach is rumbling, he falls into a trance whereupon he sees a vision. Now, it's a well-documented fact that no one should go grocery shopping on an empty stomach, but this passage seems to suggest that we should also make sure we are well-fed before we start praying, or we might open ourselves up to trances. Peter's vision is of a large sheet coming down from heaven, and on that sheet, on that picnic blanket, if you will, there is all manner of four-footed animals and reptiles and birds all together brushing up against one another. And Peter's commanded to kill and eat these animals. And he replies to God, surely not, Lord, 
I have never eaten anything that is profane or unclean. We're told this happens not once, not twice, but three times. Three times this vision comes to Peter and three times he's told to eat and three times he argues. He argues with the one speaking to him. He argues with God saying, don't you remember? Don't you remember the rules that you gave us back in Leviticus? Don't you remember we're not allowed to eat these certain things? They're unclean. They're not holy. And it's in the middle of this argument, this going backwards and forwards, as Peter is still trying to make sense of what has been brought before him, that the men arrive from Cornelius' house. And they start to tell him about Cornelius' vision and tell him that they have been sent, sent to bring him back. And so they, he, ret- he goes with them. He goes to Cornelius' house and learns again of Cornelius' vision. And somehow, somehow in all of this encounter, the pieces start to slowly fit together in Peter's mind. He realizes. He realizes that the lines have been redrawn. The rules have changed. That which was held to be true is now being challenged. He says, I now realize, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. What God has made clean, you must not call profane. Clean and unclean, Jew and Gentile, insider and outsider, chosen and cast aside, loved and unloved. Everything has changed. And we are told, we are told in that moment, the Holy Spirit comes upon all of those who are gathered, Jew and Gentile, circumcised and uncircumcised, baptized and unbaptized. The Holy Spirit comes upon them and is poured out even even on the Gentiles. Nat King Cole became a successful recording artist and he was the first African-American to host his own national television program. In 1948, he purchased a beautiful home in an exclusive Los Angeles neighborhood. And the neighborhood, at the next neighborhood association meeting, there was a discussion that ensued and he was informed He was informed that the association did not want any undesirables to move in. Cole responded, neither do I. If I see any coming in here, I'll be the first to complain. He lived in that house until his death in 1965. For Peter in the early church, the rules were hard to forget. Old habits were hard to break. Old attitudes and beliefs clung on in spite of the teaching of Jesus, in spite of what they thought they understood. Being anything but Jewish was undesirable. And so in those days, if a Gentile wanted to be part of the Jewish, but part of the fellowship, they had to become a Jew first. They had to live a Jewish life. They had to become clean, acceptable, redeemed before 
they would be allowed to enter. So it was a struggle. It was a struggle for them to let go of everything they thought they knew and understood. And perhaps that struggle still continues in our lives. Just as those first believers labeled the world as clean and unclean, chosen or not, insiders or outsiders, worthy or unworthy. I wonder if we still cling to some of those labels. In these last few weeks, our nation has once again been confronted with gun violence and racism over the shooting of a teenager, Ralph Jarl. We are reminded once again of the divisions that exist in our communities, the ways in which we label one another, the ways in which we draw conclusions, the fear that fuels division and violence, perhaps has once again made us realize how far we are living as God intends. We have become afraid, afraid of one another, afraid of that which is different. Last summer, oldest son Gregor was driving home from a concert in Pennsylvania when he got a flat tire. And he called us. He called us after he had pulled into the parking lot of a, a restaurant, a bar. And he was kind of out in the middle of nowhere in Pennsylvania, and he'd never changed a tire before. And so we had said to him, why don't you just call AAA? That's why we have it. Just wait there, call AAA. But of course, he was 19 and knew better than everyone else and decided he would start to change the tire by himself. And so he got partway through that process when some of the workers from the bar that was closed uh, came out into the parking lot. And one of the guys decided that the tools that had come with my car were not up to the task and he was going to drive to his house to get some better tools, a better jack, and come back and help Gregor change the tire. So Gregor called us to say all of this was happening, at which point my husband said, well, give the guy $20 for his trouble. And then my 19-year-old said, well, I don't have $20, but I'll ask him if I can send him something on Venmo. <laughs> Apparently that's how the new generation does it. The tire got changed, he got home safely, we laughed about it all. A few weeks later, I was sharing that story with some friends, and one of those women is African-American. She said to me, you know, that wouldn't be a funny story for me to tell. If we had got that call in the middle of the night from my teenager, her, her teenager is the same age as my son, he's taller, he's a football player, he's more intimidating. He's also black. She said, if we had got that phone call, my husband would have told him, get in your car, lock your door, I'll come and get you. Most of us, most of us live in the safest, some of the safest zip codes in our nation. What would we do if somebody rang our doorbell at 10 o'clock at night that looked different? How would we react? How would we respond? I gather from my friend and from others that in these last few weeks, the conversation has increased once again, and some of those mothers and fathers are now telling their children, don't ring the doorbell. Don't go to the porch of a house you've never been to before. 
and ask for help. Friends, how have we become these people? How have we become so afraid of one another? How is it that one section of our population has to tell their sons, and I'm sure also their daughters, don't ask for help, don't ring the doorbell, don't put your hood up, don't run away, don't say anything. How have we become those people? It was a struggle. It was a struggle for that early church, and it is a struggle for each one of us today. It is a struggle for us truly to accept that God shows no favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. What God has made clean, you must not call profane. Friends, this scripture speaks to us still today as much as it did to the early church. It speaks to us and calls us to search our hearts. It calls us to invite the Holy Spirit into every one of our conversations and every one of our interactions. How do we look at the world? How do we look at those who are different from us? How do we look at those who perhaps do not live in our neighborhoods? What God has made clean you must not call profane. God accepts from every nation, from every nation, the one who fears him and does what is right. Friends, the world needs us, you and me, to live out this truth. The world needs us to show no favoritism, to accept from every nation to accept as God accepts, to see others as God sees them, and to love others as God loves them. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. <laughs>